I'm a writer, director, and artichoke fanatic. Hey, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink. And I actually love salt and vinegar chips, which you have in front of you. Yeah, it just scarfs them down. Okay, here's the thing. I feel afraid to eat them in public because they smell so bad. Okay, I'm sorry no, I no, ate no, no, them no, in public. No, 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 but I don't smell them on you. I'm saying, what's the <laughs> etiquette on, like, food that has a strong smell? Are you allowed to eat it in public or not? Yeah. Because, like, that's on other people to move away from you? Well, what are you talking about? Like, I don't think you can stink up a room if you, like, have a shared working space and, like, there's a microwave. You can't, like, microwave something gross. You get on you get on a, an airplane with just a tuna sandwich. I would do that. Am I a bad person? <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, all this etiquette stuff of, like, getting on an airplane with, like, certain food that smells, like, intensely. I guess I just like so few foods that I just got to do what I can do. Like I, I took a bite of an apple. I'm sorry to everyone. I'll take it out. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, people don't like hey, it. Hey, Gabs, have you ever recorded a podcast? <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> people don't like when you eat on podcasts. They really hate it. And I and I I want feel for those people. And I take you seriously. And I want to formally apologize. Should I be thinking more about what I'm eating and where? I think so. I think people are like really yeah, intense about smells. Like people I don't have coffee have- breath all the time. And coffee breath is so disgusting to me. All right. That I will argue that, like, that that's that if normalized. People, yeah, that's normalized, and I can eat my salt and vinegar chips. I understand that you mean me when you're talking <laughs> about coffee breath, and I, that's fine. Is it weird that sometimes I think that I view the coffee breath as like a point of pride? Like, where I'm like, I've had so much coffee because that's what I need to function because I'm so productive that if I smell like coffee, it means people will think I'm busy. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that doesn't sound healthy. Uh no, it's not, but it's kind of real, right? I guess I drink tea. Anyway, this is just between us a variety show filled with heartful advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. So that's just a peek into my psyche. Yeah. And like what I'm about and why I do the things that I do. Why can you why do you feel you have to appear busy all the time? Wow, you know what? You and my therapist both have that question. <laughs> uh you know, I think it's just like a a a conflation of self-worth and work ethic that I did as a young child where I think that my only value as a person is if I am productive. And um, you can blame my parents and capitalism for that one. I used to be like that. I'm not anymore. I know. You're free. I've become free. It's 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 wild. You're on like level um, like 11 out of, out, of, out of 12 and I'm on level like 9. Yeah. And that's fine. Nine's great. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we have got a great episode for you this week. We're going to be talking to Nora McInerney, the host of the podcast Terrible Thanks for Asking, and just a, such a great person. A delight. Yeah, a delight. And later we'll be discussing aliens. Do they exist? How badly do we want to meet them? Real bad. But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Drew! New Jersey. Oh my god, you really kind of got I, funky yeah, there at the end. Yeah, I went like screamo. What's yeah. it called? Like that heavy metal that's just screaming? Screamo. Yeah, screamo. Yeah, you did it. I mean, I think also heavy metal would have accounted for that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, check me out on my new screamo <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, so Drew says, should I major in something stable that I don't love mm-hmm. or major in something I love and be financially unstable? Oh boy. Right now, I very much enjoy comedic acting, writing, directing. Uh Uh-oh. It's honestly my favorite thing to do. No. However, I have a passion for psychology. Mm -hmm. Learning everything about the mind fascinates me and helps me sort through my own mind. Mm -hmm. So basically, Drew wants to know... What what, should they major in? What should they major in and what should they pursue? (sighs) All right. The answer is STEM. No, I'm just no, but (laughs) But like, for real. Okay, so when I was younger... Mm-hmm. And this might be a facet of age. Okay. When I I'm 31. When I was younger, I'm I would only 30. Okay. Say it every time. When I was younger, I thought you have to follow your passions. Mm-hmm. And that was wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is kind of the thing where, and this is gonna dovetail back around, I promise. I was watching the finale of The Bachelor. And I think that at my age, at 31, there was like this thing where The Bachelor picked this girl that his mom 
didn't think was right for him. And I'm watching it and everyone is on the side of the couple that's like, that's like love will conquer all or whatever. And I'm like 31, like sitting in my apartment being like, that mom has some good points. They've since broken up. Really? They yeah, did? It's, it was a few days ago this finale happened and they've already decided to go their separate ways. That's what I'm talking about. The mom was completely right. But yeah. I went on the internet and I felt crazy because everyone was like, oh my God, that mom's so out of line. And I was like sitting on my couch eating chips being like, no, she's right. They're going to break up. <laughs> and I feel like that's just like a facet of like being older or something or being in your 30s. Like I tweeted like being in your 30s is uh, saying that the parents make really good points on The Bachelor. <laughs> but like... I, uh, and maybe that's not quote unquote romantic, but whatever. So I feel the same way here, right? Like me younger would have been like, no, like you have to follow your passions and your dreams and blah, blah, blah. Me now, I'm like, what you get a degree in kind of doesn't matter. Unless you're like a doctor. You can't get a degree in comedy and become a doctor. Uh, I mean, you can, but it's a winding road. What I mean is, is that I majored in journalism and I was very single-minded about that. And I was like, I need to major in journalism. I'm a journalist. Like I need to major in journalism. I also love writing fiction and I and I really enjoyed reading books and English language stuff. But I also thought poorly of friends of mine who were majoring in English because I was like, English isn't a job. What kind of job are you going to get majoring in English? I need to major in something that has a job. Journalism equals journalist. Great job. English major. What's your job? You don't have a job. And so I was very concerned about the major to job pipeline. Mm -hmm. But then journalism, as I studied it, newspaper journalism, died. You can get a degree in psychology and still become a writer and an actor. Right. You can't bet on any one thing Mm -hmm. being the thing. It's never hurt to have like a degree in something because you can maybe use that in your work. Does that make sense? Like rather than being pigeonholed as majoring in newspaper journalism, which is what I did, I could have majored in a specific topic, history or something where I would have more of a basis of knowledge to write about. I also think that if you're someone who is already thinking about like the fallout of being financially unstable, it can be really beneficial to have that backup plan. Totally. A lot of life's decisions isn't about what is the right decision objectively. It's about what is the right decision for you as a person specifically with your values and yes. your brain and how you work. And you don't have to give up doing the other stuff. No. You, like, don't, ap- you don't have to give up the other stuff. This is what you're doing. You majored in screenwriting. Uh-huh. Then you also had this thing where you really were passionate about mental health. And you're now going to grad school for mental health because you can marry those two things together. Right. Like you don't have to pick one or the other and be like, now I'll never go do psychology or now I'll never do comedy because I've chosen one path. But I would argue that it's easier to learn comedy and writing on your own without Correct. a college education versus learning psychology. Yes, <laughs> so totally. I, I I lean towards you majoring in psychology and then doing the other stuff on the side. I majored in journalism with the idea of getting a job and then I was in a comedy troupe as like a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in entertainment. Now, here's the other side of things. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm a person who grew up without money. Um, I was very concerned about majoring in journalism and having the title of journalist when I left school because I was very worried about money and very worried about paying back my student loans and very worried about doing a job that I knew was a job. Like even scientist didn't really make sense to me because I was like, okay, so you major in science, then you become a scientist, where? What's your job? What do you do? I guess you become a doctor. Like I had like a very like Richard Scarry's neighborhood idea of like what jobs were. Like I was like doctor, firefighter, mailman. Like I had no, like I didn't really like, okay, if you major in English, do you go into academia? Like if you're major in comedy, like who hires you as a comedian? Like I had no idea. I think that you can get more creative with psychology. It opens more doors for you as like what you could possibly do with it. I think that there is this idea that, like, if you don't follow your dreams and you're a bad person or a boring person right. or, like, that you lack courage or drive. No. And that's not true at all. You like, can do both. You can absolutely do both. And if ultimately, like, the comedy stuff isn't working, I actually think this is obviously me jumping, you know, 10 years ahead mm-hmm. in your life. I think that it's brave to acknowledge that. Yes. 
and to be a whole enough person that you can say, okay, so what else is interesting to me? What else can I do? Right, which is what you did. Yeah, instead of just like hitting your head against the wall and being like, this is the only version of my life that makes any sense. And also, if you're a psychologist for a bunch of years and then you decide that like you want to do comedy, like there's nothing stopping you. You yeah. can like do it in reverse order too. And I think Or that- at the same time concurrently. I don't know why you feel like you have to choose. Well, I think you have to choose a you major. You have to choose a major, <laughs> but I don't mean you have to ch- you don't have to choose a version of yourself. Here's the thing. I think people choose a major and they think that that is saying something about themselves that is choosing like I am a psychology major. This is who I am. This is what I care about. This defines me. And like it doesn't. Everyone going to school is just trying to figure out who they are. So many people will change majors. So many people will drop out of school. So many people will end up doing jobs that have nothing to do with what they majored in. My friends who majored in journalism, one's a teacher, one works in public health. One of them works with like AIDS patients. Like almost nobody in my major who was my friends are working as reporters, maybe like three. Mm -hmm. Life is long. Like you're not locked in to what you majored in. And I think that even if you're out in the workforce, you can potentially not be locked into that either. If you have this passion that is like proving to be unstable, I don't think it's like giving up if you decide that you want stability. I think no. it's, it's pivoting. Yeah. It's like acknowledging, okay, I don't feel good living in this state of unease and unknown and mm-hmm. and like Maybe instability. Sh- yeah. And so you value stability and you value having money in the bank and then you make that decision. Yeah. Or maybe you start to feel like, oh, my career seems to be all about me because it's acting and entertainment. I really f- would feel better if I was helping people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just, but I think you have more of the option to do that if you major in psychology and then keep doing the other stuff on the side. Because you can always create. You know? Always, yeah. You can always you can write work on always. that. And the more that you know, the better of a writer you'll be. Now, at least at my school, I was able to do journalism. And then as my like extracurricular, I was on a sketch comedy team. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met other comedians. I was the only journalism major on any of the sketch comedy teams at Emerson. Because there was this thing where it was like, well, wh- that doesn't make sense. Like you have to do the, the newspaper. You have to only do the broadcast news channel. Like you have to do the extracurricular that matches with your major. You don't. People just aren't that creative to think that outside the box in that way. But you don't. If you're if you're a, a science major and you want to do like the acapella group, like, and you're like, well, I shouldn't. I'm not a music major. Who cares? Like, live your life, Drew. Do whatever you want. Be as expansive in your approach as possible. Do all of it. Do your psychology degree and then take an acting class. Like, who cares? Well, Drew cares. I'm just, I'm saying, like, don't feel (laughs) like you have to be one thing. Absolutely. So, anyway, overall, major in psychology. Oh my God. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we're going to talk to Nora McInerney, the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking, all about grief and vulnerability. And it's just a fascinating interview. So, stay tuned. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. Hello. This week on the show, we have Nora McInerney, who is the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking, and also like just a wonderful ray beam of light as a person. Hello. And an author. Hello. And an author. I know. But uh, sometimes I like to introduce our guests in so much as how they relate to me. Oh, got it. Got it. Uh, <laughs> hello. Hello. I also, I respect that because honestly, what are you going to do? Read someone's like entire LinkedIn. It's just, it just gets, it gets to be a lot. Well, say what your book is called. The most recent one, No Happy Endings is a, is a memoir that is out in paperback on March 24th. And then I have my first novel coming out in April. It is Bad Moms, the novel. It is it's very unusual for the movie to come out first, but <laughs> I like to do things unusually. So, yeah. So you co-wrote that book with like the writers of the movie franchise, right? I actually wrote the book, and they uh, they just edited it. They were like oh. the most generous, coolest dudes I've ever worked with. Generally, I don't have great experiences working with men. Also, I don't really work with men that often, yep. and I was. 
they exceeded my very low expectations, but also they were truly like the most collaborative, amazing creative partners. And they gave me their characters and they gave me, you know, a pretty loose plot structure. And they said like, this is yours, go make it, which was so amazing. And they were also the only people that I've really worked with who were like dedicated to being like, did you get paid for this yet? Oh, that's great. As a writer, you're usually like, um, So just just checking in, it's not a huge deal, but do you think like maybe uh, at some point, like within the next 90 to 180 days, I might uh, like maybe, and it's not a huge, but maybe I could get paid. Yeah, like if if by the end of the decade, if someone could send me a check, that'd be great. For this work that I already turned in and did. (laughs) It would be be so cool. So they were just so delightful. And that movie is, I was watching it the night that I went into labor and I laughed so hard I had a baby. Oh my God. And that, that should be on the cover yeah. of the book. <laughs> it's, wow. It, 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 it's at the very back of the book, but I agree. It should have been on the cover. I was like, this is, that's a good origin story, guys. That's amazing. Wow. So, okay. So can you tell our audience about your podcast? Oh, geez. So my podcast is called Terrible Thanks for Asking, which is a rejected book title <laughs> uh, because the first book I ever wrote was about my husband dying of brain cancer, and the publisher was like, ah, that seems a little negative for a book <laughs> about here. I have dealt with that as well, and it is bananas. I'm like, I feel like my instincts were good on that one, but I just said, okay, I will take this. I will use it for something else, and it is a podcast that talks to people who are going through or you know, in a really, really difficult life situation mm-hmm. and really looks to find like an honest answer to the question that we all ask and answer mindlessly every day, at least here in the U.S., which is the first thing that we say to people is like, hey, how are you? And we don't actually, for 99% of the time, we don't truly care. We're just like walking by someone in the hallway and they could be like, my life's falling apart, Gabby. And you'd be like, great, see you later. (laughs) It's just, it's so reflexive. And Aaron, my husband, died of brain cancer and he was 35 years old and I was 31. I was a younger woman, obviously. He was an older man, which I love to say. I was like, you were a senior when I was a freshman. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And I was so obsessed with being fine. I was so, so obsessed. Well, you also had even more happen around that time, right? Yeah, I like, you know, yeah, my dad died, which I, you know, I like that. My dad died right before, which Aaron was like, first of all, I'm dying. Why oh, why does he have to do this? God. I was like, I know. My dad is a real, you know, He's a real ta- show stealer. Yeah. Taking his yeah. thunder. Yeah. And and like I lost a pregnancy, which, you know, that was like definitely the last chance to have a baby with Aaron. Um, we already had one, but I was like, wouldn't two be better? I was getting greedy. You know, I was like, well, I don't know that that's kept greedy. Him alive. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, he, he, he needs to have two. Like I just was, it was, it was such a strange time. And I just, I was at first I was fine for him, just like he was fine for me. And, and then he was gone and I, I just didn't want any, I didn't want anybody's pity. Mm-hmm. And Aaron and I wrote his obituary together. So if you Google like Aaron Permort obituary or just Google Spider-Man obituary, we wrote his obituary together and it went like viral in the 2014 sense where there was like one viral story a, a week. Yeah. And it was him. It was his, it was his obituary where we said that he was Spider-Man and that his, you know, he was survived by his first wife, Gwen Stefani. And, <laughs> and which like several older people in my life were like, that was so classy of you to include his first wife. Like they just, it didn't click. Aww. They were like, I didn't even know he was married before. And <laughs> oh was, my God. God. Wild. And it went and it went viral, and I started getting so many messages from people who were going through something difficult, mm-hmm. and they were reaching out to a complete stranger on the internet, not because they didn't have friends and family, but because, like me, they were just used to telling people they were fine, or people had stopped asking, and I just realized basically how unspecial I was, and I also needed a job, so so I pitched a podcast. <laughs> and how how soon after he passed away did you start doing the podcast? A year, a year. Yeah. And and that was like right around to like where I just like got to truly like experience a, a good solid breakdown too. Right. Um, like while I was like, it's so important to be honest. I was like, meanwhile, I am fully lying still. Really? I am fully, fully pretending. I, I met somebody else the year after and I got pregnant very quickly and I went in every day to make this podcast and I didn't tell anybody that I was pregnant. Because 
then what would people think of me? And Mm -hmm. can you possibly be sad, but also be happy or even okay-ish? And yes, turns out, yes. Turns out, yeah. But I was like, I had never seen that done out loud. Right. And I was also, truth be told, like very afraid of like the impact of being pregnant um, in a in a position where I was a contractor and I was a new creator and I didn't think that the show would get support if people thought that I needed time to have a baby. So I just hit it <laughs> until about like, you know, maybe a week before. So what? I'm very tall, Allison. Like I've got a lot of space to hide a baby. And if I wear the right clothes, people are like, I guess she just is gaining weight in a weird way. <laughs> Oh my God. So, okay. When someone is passing away slowly, I think you have a little bit more time to get used to grief or to deal with grief. Because it seemed like you guys were talking very openly about it. We were. And I still somehow did not realize that that was grief. Mm -hmm. And, And there's just so much I didn't know because Aaron and I were so young and we were such, we were the only people we knew where one of us was dying. We did not have dying peers and, um, or any, at the time, everybody that we saw in the oncology unit was much, much older. Everybody that we saw at the neuro-oncology unit was much, much older or very, very young, which we would look at each other and be like, oh, no, that's sad. Like this Oh, is- comparing. Yeah, we did, all the, we did all the wrong things. Like we definitely, you know, I, and I think part of it is a little bit of that, uh, uh, that sort of mutual deception um, or just sort of like a, a shared illusion that you mm-hmm. give each other of a kindness, you know, where, um, where you pretend like maybe it is going to be okay while you're also very openly talking about all the ways that it isn't and that it won't be. And I kind of imagine it like parallel tracks where we were doing a end of life plan and, uh, you know, we filled out, I made a will too. I was like, you know, I'll do one too. Uh, like just, yeah. you know, never know. Like we would do stuff like that. And, and, uh, which is also a deeply romantic thing to do with somebody is to, is to do like a, a living will and be like, okay, now what if this happens? What do you want? And, and we were doing all those things, like hoping for a future, but also planning to not have one. And I didn't realize at any point in time when Aaron was actually sick, that that was grief. Like that, uh, that I, that I maybe should take care of my, that maybe I should go to therapy, that maybe I should even, maybe I should get some of that Ativan that he gets. Mm. Yeah. We just didn't have time. Like when would we do that? How long was he sick? Aaron was sick for three years. So, um, we had been dating a year. He had a seizure and it was stage four cancer right away. And, and then he, um, his funeral was on our third wedding anniversary. Oh, Wow. What advice do you give now to someone whose whose partner is is sick and and probably dying? Like, what do you wish you had known? The thing that I did really well is I, we really were very present with one another mm-hmm. um, as much as we could be. But we also, I don't know if you know this, but America is not a great place to be sick. And <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd I'm about to blow your mind, but like the money situation here is really messed up and. Aaron didn't have life insurance. He didn't have, we didn't have any money. So I worked up until the day he entered hospice. He worked until the day he entered hospice. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes I look back and I think, should we have just not done that? Like, should we have just, you know, been fully in with it? But no, we had a mortgage to pay. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we had a child. Like we really were, we were as present as we could be. And also we gave the gift of normalcy to each other. We're like, you know, we still had normal conversations where I was like, I get that you have a brain tumor, but like you said, you take out the garbage and mm-hmm. it is still here. So, um, <laughs> but I, I tell everybody to truly like feel it, which just sounds so stupid, but like to feel as upset as you need to be, to feel as mad as you need to be. And also the worst part, which is you have to tell everyone around you the truth. And what, what do you mean by that? Like you have to say, people are really looking at you, which sucks because you're in the middle of a crisis. They need you to lead them through it. So when they say, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do, that's a useless thing. But then you have to reply and say, I need you to come mow my fucking lawn. Right. And I, and I need you to keep doing it for the next year. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you have to ask for help early and often and unapologetically and repeatedly. And even when somebody says no, you're receiving information. 
you're receiving information that tells you, oh, this person is not the person I rely on for this. Mm -hmm. And instead, I just held it all really, really close because I didn't want anyone to feel bad for me or for us. I just wanted us to be normal. And like, you're not, you are not normal anymore. Like you've gone beyond. Mm -hmm. So he got sick and then you guys got married after that? Yeah, we got married a month after his brain surgery. So he had brain surgery on November 3rd. And on December 3rd, we got married. And it was wonderful. It was like the most wonderful, amazing, you know, two weeks of planning wedding that you would ever see. (laughs) Did some people in your life caution you against continuing this relationship with someone who was sick? Yes, they did. And, And I get that. I do get that. And I think that if I were not in this position, I would look at someone else and think like, oh, like, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And I remember someone who cared about both of us so much saying, this is going to get so hard. And I just thought, yeah, yeah, it will. Of course it will. And the other option was just not doable. Right. It's like, well, like, I guess I could have stayed his girlfriend and that's, you know, that's fine. But also, you don't really have a lot of power if you're not married. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. And I, and I wanted to still be able to have all the things that we were talking about and planning. And I just think it's so strange how we want to like bubble wrap ourselves and other people against pain when really like, so if it wasn't Aaron, if I didn't knowingly marry somebody who had brain cancer and anywhere between three to five years to live, I could marry anybody and find you know, I don't know. There's just so they could get hit by a bus, right? Like not to be too optimistic, but yeah, that's kind of like the point of loving someone. You're never gonna not be vulnerable to pain, right? Like to love anything is to say like, I agree to be hurt in some way. Yeah. How did the conversation about having a kid come up or when did that come up? So we had talked about it on our second date, which was very normal and kind of a sign. Uh. I was like, I want four kids. He was like, I want two kids, which is the kind of families we came from. So I was like, okay, handshake deal. We'll have three. Then I'll trick <laughs> you into a fourth. And so we had talked about it right away. And um, maybe three months after our wedding, we, we took his uh, sister and her two kids to Disneyland, which I'd never been to, or Disney, whatever one is in Florida. I'd never been as a kid. Aaron was like, I can't believe you don't know this. I'm like, okay, spoiled little kid. So (laughs) we took them to Disney. And I don't know, it's just something so wonderful about being there with kids and even seeing kids just lose their shit. I I just looked at him that night and I said, I want to still do this. I want to figure out how to do this. So we went to the, you know, fertility doctor and he told us how much IVF was. And I was like, what's that? Che- what, what do you have? That's not that. <laughs> like, what, what do you, what do you have? That's almost like free. Like, could you just like put it in me? And he was like, yes, we can do that. And we did that one and it worked on the second try, which is good. Cause that's all the basically, you know, left just enough to try again a second time. And we got pregnant with Ralph. Wow. And did people try to talk you out of that too? Like, what's the thought process of, well, your dad might not be here when you grow up? I think that it was so like light, like a pregnancy is so life affirming for people that nobody said anything to our faces about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just such a defiant act of hope to have a child that um, I, I think that it was some kind of magic and that having Ralph kept Aaron alive because- Aaron had his second brain surgery like two weeks before Ralph was born when I just thought, oh God, the brain tumor is back. I'm about to have a baby. Like, who did I think I was that this would, that this would be okay? And Aaron was still there when, when, when Ralph was born with a fresh, gnarly scar on his head and he was, you know, sick and he laid in bed and Ralph just laid between us and just just spent the first two years of his life being really, really chill. And like, he came into this world knowing, you know, I'm not the center of things here, but I'd like to be in your orbit. And and I think I just think of Aaron as so brave for that reason, because I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't know if I could look at any of our children and, 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 and think like, like, I know that I won't be there in the future, but I'm still going to be here now. Like I consider him just so brave. And that was such a gift to give me. 
truly. And like a gift for him to be able to to see his kid, you know, at all. Yes. And and it turns out Ralph looks exactly like him. I was just a host for Aaron to <laughs> duplicate himself. <laughs> and that part is so strange to me. Like, I don't want him to be, you know, uh, spend his whole life thinking that he has to, you know, live, live to be, you know, the replacement of his father. But seeing Aaron get to be a dad, like some guys are just meant to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just meant to do it. And it was so, so, so cool. And I am, I have no regrets about that. Can I just clarify? So mm-hmm. when he got sick, was there still hope there or were you pretty sure that it was, um, a terminal, diagnosis? A terminal diagnosis? So, so it's stage four brain cancer. And I was so wonderfully ignorant, like, I thought there were 10 stages of cancer. So I was like, four is great. Aww. Like four, like, like, I was like, awesome, super. And the doctor was like, nope, false, not, not good. <laughs> not good. It's like, okay, well, we got to read, we got to work on your naming um, system then <laughs> or your rating system. Oh I cannot God. be the only person who didn't know that. And, you know, like uh, in Grey's Anatomy, they're like, well, you have this amount of time. And I walked in that first day and Aaron and I had already discussed it. And we were like, never, we don't want to know a timeline. So oh, even okay. if you think I'm going to die tomorrow, don't, just don't tell me. <laughs> like, just, Why'd you decide that? Because it's like, if you knew that a clock was ticking, all you would do is stare at the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we lived like six weeks at a time between his MRIs. We were just like, okay, every time you get a good MRI, we know we have six more weeks. That's great. And we'd feel so good for those first two weeks pretty good for the next two weeks. And then, you know, as it gets closer, like you would feel that sort of anxiety Mm -hmm. about whether or not like this entire time was another brain tumor growing in your head. And Mm. I Googled it once, uh, right when he was diagnosed and I shut the window so quickly. And, uh, I remember seeing right away, it was probably in like, you know, either WebMD or, uh, or the Mayo Clinic, who can tell them apart, uh, <laughs> that the typical lifespan is three to five years. So that was in the back of my head. And I know that Aaron Googled it. I was about to say, he once. probably looked too. He looked too. Um, and, and then we were like, never again, never again. We're not going to look up anything. We are going to, um, We are going to just do what we can with what we have. And we had had another acquaintance of Aaron's and of who cares? Like, this is like, you know, when your uncle is telling you a story or your aunt and usually an aunt. And she's like, actually, it was my mailman's niece's friend. (laughs) And you're like, it's not important to the story. I I don't care if it was a Tuesday. I just did that to you. So I'm sorry. But we had like, we had known another person who had the same thing. And, uh, and so I'd seen it. But I had also thought like that we would be the exception. Mm-hmm, like yeah. I truly did. And he was so healthy. Like he had never smoked a cigarette. He had never done any drugs, not one. And he would say like, oh, yeah, I just went to the hard shit, chemo. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Oh, my God. That's funny. Uh, yeah. And he also called it chemo grigio, which I thought was very funny. That and is he would want credit for Very <laughs> funny. And uh, when he went into the hospital, he would uh, make me call him Kimo Sabi. <laughs> so, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> like he ruled, and you would truly be like, like you'd be like that. That dude rules. He was so great, and so we knew, and we just sort of pretended like we didn't, even though we also did stuff like, you know, like I'd be like, "Oh, you want that? Get it. Who cares?" Yeah, right. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Like, buy yourself a new pair of Nikes. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that was a good way to approach it or did it make it even harder when he did pass away? I think like I I truly do not have a lot of regrets. My friend uh Jess, we we met um as as cancer people, long distance cancer friends. Mm-hmm. Her husband died a year ago and Jess was the ultimate cancer wife. Like she and Jeff were like bopping around the country, going into clinical trials. Like she knew his medications. She knew like all this stuff and watching her take care of Jeff. I was like, I was the worst wife. I was, oh my God, I was such a bad wife. I probably killed him. I didn't look up anything. Like, like that's what your brain does. Like when you start comparing yourself and, and I would text her that I'd be like, Jeff is so lucky he married you and not me. Cause one time 
I mentioned to one of Aaron's doctors, like, oh, Aaron loves like going in every other Friday and getting those vitamin IVs. And the doctor was like, he was getting chemo. <laughs> like, and I was like, really? Well, I told him it was a vitamin and he always felt great afterwards. Oh, God. Uh, but like, I Ignorance mean, is bliss. Yeah, I'm a big proponent is. of that. I, I have to say it really is. I'm like, when I Googled brain tumors mm-hmm. or like what to do if your husband has a brain, tumor, you know, just like looking for some sort of advice or yeah. community, I realized like I could not go there because all of these people had made, and it is a completely natural thing. They had made cancer like the point of their lives. Mm-hmm. And they knew, they knew like, oh, like, well, maybe he should take this. Maybe he should take that. Um, have you talked to this doctor? And like, Aaron didn't want that. Like he wanted to be a normal person and he didn't want to have cancer be the center of everything. Like cancer could take up as much time as it absolutely demanded. Like he would go give cancer, you know, the a blood draw. He would go in for something he thought was a vitamin. He'd get a brain surgery if he had to, but he didn't want it to be like the center of his world. And so I'm really glad we did it that way, honestly, until there's like a cure for it. And then I'll be like, well, shit, like maybe I should have tried harder. No, I think that the way that you're talking about it feels just right to me. There is so little you can control. And I get why people want to control what they can in terms of like the medications and being on top of everything. But you probably have so many more memories of you guys just enjoying each other Mm -hmm. because you took that time to. We had so, honestly, like the happiest days of my life were also the hardest days of my life. Like that was the happiest I've ever been because we really it, it didn't worry about anything because mm-hmm. life was going to be over or we were going to be together. And we had sort of surrendered to that. And he also made everything so fun. Like I had so much fun going to the hospital with him. Why did he have such a good attitude about everything? He was such a freak. Like, he was so, like, friendly and cool and amazing. And he got a Best Dressed Award from his radiologist. <laughs> like, I was like, and he was, so, he was like, thank you for noticing. I do put in an effort, okay? <laughs> he was just that kind of person. And at his funeral, like, that's what I heard from people. Like, he just made you feel like if you were with him, the party had started and it had started because you were there. And I, I sensed that the first time I met him and I was so self-conscious, could not walk into like a party alone ever, uh, could not walk into the cafeteria alone in college. I was like, well, I guess I'm not eating today because everyone's already like, I just, I was just so self-conscious and Aaron was the opposite. He just made everybody feel so welcome. And I really miss that. And I try to do that in his absence, but I'm not as naturally good at it. So you, your show is like about when someone says, how are you, you answer truthfully. I try to, in our family now, and my family is very different than it was um, when Aaron was alive. Um, if you can't tell, he died. Uh, right. But in our family, like the F word is fine. Like mm-hmm. you cannot tell the people that actually care about you that you're fine if it's not true. Like fine is just not a response. Our kids can say the other F word if they want. But if I ask how your day was, you cannot say fine. I love like your that. day was not, your day was not fine. You are not fine. You are, you can be anything but fine. Can we talk a little about finding someone else? Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards. And, and I can only imagine what a tricky situation that was for you. I love talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you hate talking about this? No, I really, I love to talk about it because it is so like taboo kind of. Yes. And it's like, can I still call myself a widow if I'm remarried? Well, I do. I have a sweatshirt that says widow on it and I love to wear it because I will always be Aaron's and I am now um, married to a man named Matthew. And in a lot of ways, he is so different from Aaron. And in some ways they are so connected that it's, you know, strange and, and beautiful to me. Did you guys talk about your future with Aaron and did he like give your, his blessing about this kind of stuff? No, we talked about it in like really vague terms. I remember having this moment where a friend of mine, I wrote about this in in one of my books, but her husband had died of brain cancer. Like she was a person I met through brain Mm -hmm. cancer. Um, And her husband had been sick for a long time and his tumor had changed him. He was no longer himself. It was five years of 
living with a stranger, of taking care of basically a 6'4 child. It was so hard on her. And it had been three months since he died. And she texted me about going on a date. And I like recoiled from my phone. I was in the kitchen. And I, I read it to Aaron. And he kind of snapped at me, which he never did. And he was like, don't judge her. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He's like, why would you judge her for that? And I was like, well, because I love you so much, which is the judgment is of that, right? Is that it, it is almost like trying to defend your love by comparing it against somebody else's. It's a really strange thing. And seeing it in myself then scared me for the way that people would think about me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I was a person who was going through it, going through it very differently. But still, I com- I completely judged her. Like, well, I love my husband so much. I'll never date again. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll die alone. Ralph will be my everything. And that's never gone badly. Right. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> kids, kids love that. That's never kids ended up that. in a full psycho situation. <laughs> no. Oh my God. I just like, can't imagine a better, better life for a little boy than being married to his mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was filled with like shame. And I, I don't know. I just, I wasn't like looking for another relationship. It's like, wow, I, I experienced like this big, complete love. How wonderful that I got that. Like it would be selfish or it would be greedy to look for it again. I definitely wanted sex and I wanted it soon. And that is something people don't understand about grief. You're like, your body is on fire. You want to feel anything. Yeah. And, uh, it's hard in a city where you feel like you know everyone to be like, could I have some casual sex? And also I might cry afterwards. And could you stay and just clear out cobwebs from my ceiling that I can't reach? Thank you. Yeah. I have a jar for you to open. Okay, bye. Yeah. Get out of my house. <laughs> yes. And also, but on your way out, will you salt the sidewalk? Because it's pretty slippery. Thing. Yeah. You know, I'd hooked up with a couple guys. One um, my sister found on Twitter for me. What a good I, sister. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. She was like, who will make out with my sister? <laughs> And someone tagged this guy and he replied, oh, oh, no, thanks. And I I messaged him and I was like, look, my husband died. Like, you can't really say no to me. And he took me out to dinner and then we made out in his car. And my mom was like in the window of my house, like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's almost 11. I have to go home. Oh, my God. Uh, and then like a year after Aaron died, like your body your your body remembers stuff. Your body remembers traumatic situations. And yeah. it was fall again. And my dad's death anniversary was coming up. The anniversary of my miscarriage was coming up. And those passed. And I was like so tense that I felt like if I turned my head, my neck would just crack off. Totally. And, and in Minnesota, it's like, you know, pitch black by that part. But the end of November, it's just, it's Ugh. It's a dark, and lonely like time on the inside is. and on the outside. Everywhere. It's just terrible. And like, and my friend Mo was, um, you know, I met her through widowhood. Uh, we started the Hot Young Widows Club together and she invited me over to burn things in her backyard, which is the way to my heart. I love fire. And <laughs> I brought over like a bunch of old medical bills and like explanation of benefits. <laughs> I love all of this. This is like so <laughs> cinematic what you're describing. <laughs> I went there and we were lighting things on fire and then a guy showed up and I was like, oh God. And he was like, you know, oh, hey, hey. And then he sat down in like an Adirondack chair and it was too close to the fire and its integrity was compromised and it collapsed. And I had not laughed in so long that I, I laughed so hard and so loud that I thought I was gonna throw up or die. Like I could not even breathe and and he just got up and I guess he went back into the kitchen. I could not stop laughing. Um, and then he came back out and introduced himself. And then he just sat there and listened to Mo and I talk about our dead husbands and about life. Did he know your friend? It turns out this was a setup. Oh. <laughs> so he's Mo's a friend from like childhood. And he had played music with her dead husband. And he was in bands that my dead husband liked. Oh. Like they didn't know each other, but I can like imagine them like in these same like shitty basement shows, listening to bands I've never heard of. And finally I was like, what is your deal? Like, does your wife dead? And he was like, oh no, I'm divorced. And I was like, holy shit, that's fascinating. I'm done talking for the rest of the night. I have to hear everything about this divorce. <laughs> I 
love just the idea of what's your deal? Is your wife dead? Yeah. Like, <laughs> As a uh, pickup on. line. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly worked. It worked. And he's and also no one had asked him about this stuff because it was so shameful. Mm-hmm. Like he was yeah. he had been married when he was twenty and they had all the same friends. And oh, so wow. no one had everyone knew the details. Like everyone knew, but no one had asked him about it. Like no one had said, Whoa, that is really hard. And I I did that for him and then I was like, Oh my God, this is the most fascinating story I've ever heard. Like I looked at him and I was like, You have survived something incredible and you got your kids through this. And nobody feels better than when someone else is like, that is crazy what happened to That's you because you feel yes. validated. Yes. And like when we compare our hardships, like, trust me, when I say like all the stuff that Allison, Allison, you're like, well, other stuff happened to I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But like, if I say too much, then people won't talk to me about anything because they'll be like, well, you have three dead people in six weeks. I can't beat that. And like, you don't have to beat it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Like you don't, it's like what you've gone through is so real and so hard. And to me, it's amazing that anyone is alive and still walking through this world with all the shit we've been through. Amen. That's such a wonderful perspective. So empathetic. You know, one of those moments where you're like, oh, my whole worldview shifted in that moment. This was just one of those moments. I thought you might like Nora. (laughs) I thought you might like her. (laughs) Yeah, you have a really big fan here. Um, Such a big fan that would you like to play hypotheticals? Oh, my God. I've been waiting for this moment. Yes. Okay. So, you know, but for our new listeners, hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many questions as you want, and then you tell me what you would do in those scenarios, and then I arbitrarily decide if I like your answer. That that sounds like my my ideal Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So our first game is America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? It's a big one. Here we go. You find out that your spouse of 10 years seduced a book publisher so that they would publish your book without you knowing. The book got optioned into a TV show but sold very few copies. Would you stay with this cheater? The publisher was 85 years old, but your spouse has a thing for octogenarians. Wow. I would absolutely stay with that cheater and I would reward that cheater. (laughs) I would buy him therapy. (laughs) I feel like my first thing that I thought, which is so indicative of who I am, is I was like, was my book not good enough (laughs) to get published on its own? Like, I'm sorry, did I not produce an incredible product? It's me. I'm the problem. And and I have to tell you, the TV show died in development. No! God damn it. (laughs) Then I have to stay with him. Yeah, because you're not bringing in any money, really. (laughs) Okay, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your two-year-old's fish dies overnight. Okay. You tell your kid that the fish grew wings and must have flown away to a better life. Your child believes this for the rest of their lives, becomes (laughs) a scientist, and devotes their career to finding proof of fish growing wings. At age 67, oh my God, there's more. After being a laughing stock for decades, they discover a fish that can grow wings and fly. Are you a terrible parent? To clarify, their fish just died and you lied. <laughs> I mean, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible parent for a lot of reasons. So. Okay, take us through them. Sometimes I just say yes when when they're talking and I'm not even listening, which. I, I, <laughs> And then all of a sudden they'll be like on top of the fridge. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, you said it was okay. I'm like, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I wasn't listening to you. It's like my worst fear is that I'm a terrible parent because I am really impatient sometimes, but I will talk to them about death. So they would, if I told them that their fish blew away, they'd be like, what? I'm pretty sure it died. <laughs> That's true. They know that Aaron's dead. They know too much about death. Um, well, how important is this scientific discovery that fish can grow wings? Does that help society in any way? Like, is what I did something that benefits more than just my kid? It benefits society. No, but like, it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> fish grew wings and can fly. <laughs> Honestly, here's why you're a good parent if that happens, because you've raised a kid who's so confident that they can be a laughingstock for 67 years yes. and stick with something. That is some, you you're don't right. see that confidence Nora's every right. day. Yeah, the answer is you're I, an incredible parent. Nora's right. 
Okay. And they named the fish after you. What's the fish called? And they're like, the fish is called Mommy Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you okay. lie or tell the truth? Oh, God. While interviewing a guest for your podcast, the guest refuses to answer any of your questions and goes on a 20-minute tirade against fabric softener. Apparently, it's a scam. After discussing it with your producer, you decide not to air the episode all about fabric softener. <laughs> Unfortunately, the guest keeps asking you when the episode is going to come out. Would you lie or tell the truth? The guest is your aunt and has told everyone they will be appearing on their favorite niece's podcast. <laughs> I would just run the episode. You would? Yeah. I whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I would run. It's like what am I it's, pure? I, in the in the year that we've been doing this show, Allison, have I held us to any sort of content standard? It's, it's not this show. It's a it's a very specific show of, um, about ancestry and indigenous people. <laughs> You know, why start having standards now is sort of my 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 theory for all of my content, you know? It's like, although I did have a little bit of a, when you said that, I was like, would I do that on Bad With Money? And I think no. See? Yeah, see? You wouldn't, I, okay, which is the reason that you have a engineer or a producer is so that they can lie to somebody for you. But it's your aunt. You'll have to see her at Thanksgiving. You know what? My producer, Marcel Malikibu, he will tell you himself. He is stone cold. He would tell my aunt it wasn't a good interview. And then my aunt could be like, Marcel told me it wasn't a good interview. And I'd be like, yeah, wow. He's, he's you know, the well, last he's the word boss. on that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's so smart. I was going to say that the audio was corrupted. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Otherwise, obviously, if I had to have the conversation myself, I would lie. I would lie. Because, yeah. Oof, you think you think that my family has thicker skin than me you are wrong we are very thin-skinned <laughs> pale people and we, we we cannot handle that that level of 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 discourse in our family it's not going to happen totally as with most of these i would lie <laughs> <laughs> well honestly you get away with the ant thing but then the flying fish hits you in the head and you no! die <laughs> Sometimes I imagine someone just starting this podcast today and what they must think it's about. Do we know? No. I, I mean, I started not at the very beginning of the podcast and I was like, I get it. I'm in. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you. Thank you. What? Uh, uh, tell everyone where they can find you. I have a, I have a website, noraborealis.com. That's not my last name. That is a play on the Northern Lights. I have answered that question too many times, but also... It's my Instagram handle, and I'm not giving it up. I think it really points to the fact that we were on the internet at a time where it was like, your handle could not be your name. Right. Like, you weren't going to be Nora McInerney at AOL.com, you dweeb. Exactly. You were going to be Nipples325. Yes. So Thank you so much, Nora. Really appreciate it. And everyone check out Terrible Thanks for Asking. It's really great. Uh, what a dream. What a dream. Thank you for having me. Oh of, my God, course. of course. Thank you so much. Bye. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking about aliens. Do they exist and how badly do we want to meet them? <laughs> what is this show? <laughs> Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. This week's topic was proposed by our producer, Tamika. I fully can't believe that because this seems like something you would propose. I know, which I love. I think she was like, how do I get inside Allison's head? What is interesting to Allison? Oh, right, aliens. (sighs) Okay, so Allison is obsessed with aliens and loves aliens so much. So um, please walk us through your love of aliens. Okay, so when I was in the ninth grade, I had to write write a 90-page term paper about anything and so obviously pages jeez. so obviously i picked roswell and you were allowed to pick anything yes and i picked i picked what happened in roswell new mexico and you had 90 pages of thoughts about that so many thoughts (laughs) and i'll tell you what i think something happened it could have been a russian satellite but it was definitely a government cover-up and the best part is is that i like requested like some documents from the government and then like a year later they called my parents house and was like does Allison Raskin live here and they were like yes and then I'm on the list anyway you did a FOIA request 
I don't know what it Freedom was Freedom of Information Act. You yes, can like request like any that. information, by the way, and they have to give it to you. So I've always just been super fascinated with aliens. When I was a teenager, like all the posters in my rooms were aliens. Okay, so. Um, just like generic alien posters. Kind of me too. And then I had this um, teddy bear from the Vermont uh, Teddy Bear Factory that its face came off and behind its, its furry bear face was an alien face. Okay, so I also was obsessed with aliens. Okay. And I don't know, like I had a screen name, I am an alien 88. Um, I don't know if that is a, a product of when we were born that like we, very, it was very like Y2K was coming and like we were, I it was like. I haven't met that many other tech, people like, with alien posters. Oh, I had a, a guy friend and we were both like convinced that we were aliens. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Um, Wasn't there a thing where. Someone was running for president. Yeah, Hillary Clinton's whole thing was that once she got to be president, which unfortunately didn't happen, she was going to find out all about the aliens. And stuff. she would tell us? Maybe. I think she just wanted to know. But I, there was a, someone running for president. Maybe it was her who was like— No, my, she was very pro-alien. My promise is that if there are aliens, I'll tell everyone. Oh, that's amazing. How do you not vote for that? How did Bill not tell her? Well, um, there's also the theory that the president doesn't know. Oh, okay. I see, I see, I see. So the plausible deniability. Got it. Would you want to meet an alien? Yes. What? You wouldn't be scared? Uh, I'd be scared, but I'd be mostly jazzed. <laughs> if I have to die, I wanted to be at the hands of an alien. But that sucks because you're dead and you would be like, oh, I want to tell everyone I'm dead. Well, I'm just saying that, like, hopefully it's a friendly alien. Like, I my see. dream is to meet a friendly alien. My dr- Okay, my dream. What ideally I- would be your relationship to aliens? My relationship to an alien would be. Allison just sat up straight, ready to <laughs> chat. That um, that I that the alien is coming for me specifically because. Oh, this is like my serial killer thing. Yeah. So like, I, see, in your thing, it's always that like you are about to be murdered or killed. Yeah. In mine, I'm a hero. <laughs> I see. Okay. Yeah. That I'm important enough that someone has been peeping Tom. And on I'm me. the one. Got it. Like, okay. <laughs> Like the Matrix level, the one. I see. Okay, so, so the alien is like, Allison, we need you. We need you. And then I'd be like, hey, guys, it's so great to meet you. And then I help them with whatever mission they have. What's their mission? Um, I think it's probably to save us, uh, but I could be to save them. I see. I'm okay. open to both. So the alien doesn't look like a human. I, I don't know. I don't know. I also if think there's did. a possibility that an alien could take human form. If it did look like an alien, would you date it? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm taken. Okay, but let's say, oh, okay. What if Jake came to you and uh-huh. he was like, "I'm an alien," and he takes his face That'd off. Be There's an alien face behind I'd be it. So he happy. puts it back. What, what would you do? I'd be like, yes. What if he was like, "I'm an alien, and I'm, I've been sent here to destroy Earth, but actually, I fell in love with you, and I've decided I'm going to destroy Earth, but just save you." Would you turn him in? Yeah. You would turn him in? You would get Jake arrested? I'd have to kill him. You'd have to kill him? That's so sad. I know, but if he's fucking an alien that's going to destroy the Earth, of course I have to kill him. What if he's like, you and your family can come? No, I have to kill him. What kind of monster do you think I am? I don't know. This is my big thing that, like, like, I believe it. I believe it about anybody. I just, like, I think that people are able to have so many layers and are able to lie and are able to, like compartmentalize. So you think literally anyone could be an alien? I think literally anyone could be an alien and literally anyone could be a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what if you're, like, one of your parents was an alien? That'd be so cool because I'd be half alien. You'd be like Guardians of the Galaxy where he's half alien. That'd be awesome. Sorry, I bet it's my mom. You think your mom? I think my dad. Well, I think my mom because my dad is too obsessed with aliens to be an alien. He's so obsessed with aliens, he married your mom, an alien. Right. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know. (laughs) He doesn't know that she's an alien? No. Okay. More follow-up questions. If an alien came down and Uh said, Allison, you can come to space with me, but we can never come back. Can I bring anybody? You can bring one person and sugar. One person and sugar? Yeah. Where am I going? To space. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you you can never come back. Okay. So here's my here's my thought. Uh-huh. Aliens I in a lot of movies they can have healing powers. Absolutely. So how come how come they don't come to earth and heal people? They might not know that we're here and they might not have healing powers. And they might already be here healing people and we just don't know. We don't know. 
Like someone can come and say, I was abducted by aliens. And everyone just goes, okay, crazy person or whatever. Right. <laughs> this is what they want you to think. Do you think people have been abducted? And do you think crop circles are real? Yes and yes. How did they make the pyramids? How did they make the pyramids? Stonehenge. I think we know. I How think, did they make Stonehenge? I think we know. You know what's interesting is this show's like really real. And then sometimes like we'll take a hard left turn into like, I mean, the Yeti is real, right, guys? I don't know about the Yeti. Okay, you want to talk about aliens. I feel like there's a lot of animals that exist on Earth and we can't even begin to know. What do you mean? Like, I think like Bigfoot's real and like we just can't, we just can't even begin to know. Why is Bigfoot that much more interesting than a bear? I don't understand. Right? <laughs> like, what is what is so much more fascinating about Bigfoot than just a big bear? Like, you're, Can in it your talk? mind, I don't understand. In your mind, you're like, I've seen, I've seen a bear, so who cares about Bigfoot? But like, kind of. Like, well, I don't the, understand. The idea is that Bigfoot's like a missing link um, between anim- between like the evolution of like monkeys into people. And then are there a bunch of them or it's like immortal? What is so cool about Bigfoot? I, I think that we would like be able to study it well, and like know ha- but more is there about just one. Because then if there's just one, then that's interesting because it's been around for millennia. But is it just like a community? A big, like I don't like keep me interested, <laughs> you know, um, I think it's probably a community of Bigfoots. OK, so it's a fucking bear that that Zapruder. Can film, they speak? No, not the oh, film- big deal. <laughs> Um, do you think aliens speak out loud or do you think they just telepathy say things Probably to depends you? on the alien. Yeah. You're assuming there's one type of alien and You're I think right. that's narrow-minded. You're right. When do you think we'll know? When we die. No, I mean like as <laughs> the Earth. When do you think aliens will like let themselves be known on Earth? I'm not sure if Earth's going to continue long enough for that. That's true. You know, it's interesting because I think you're right in that we haven't explored the entire universe, so how could we possibly know what's out there? But I also think we are thinking of aliens in this limited way in which, like, they're humanoid or similar to us, and they're going to be, like, so wildly different we won't even be prepared. Or if we are the only thing that exists, then I think that guarantees that there's heaven. Whoa. Because scientifically it makes no sense for there not to be aliens. But if we're here for like spook like spooky supernatural spiritual, spiritual reasons. reasons, then for sure there's heaven. So well, I'm, how come... I'm torn because I want there to be an afterlife. No, but why When I say but... heaven, I mean an afterlife. You don't think God could have created multiple planets Absolutely. with multiple types of people on Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So aliens could be going to heaven too. Yeah. We are sober. But... We are stone cold sober. <laughs> Like, we are not on any substances. Why would we need substances to discuss what's important? You're right. Yeah. I mean, so part of me kind of wishes there's not aliens because then that increases my likelihood that there's an afterlife. I don't want an afterlife. I'm done. No, you say that, but then you're worried about dying. I am worried about dying, and I do want to be a ghost. (laughs) Those are conflicting (laughs) arguments. Tamika, come on in here and share your point of view. Okay, I have no idea what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> do you uh, do you believe in aliens? Like, you know, I think scientifically, like Allison said, it just sort of makes sense. The universe is really big. We haven't explored hardly any of it. True. It's logical that life could exist somewhere else. Thank you. Wow. And what do you think they're like? Like if they exist, I would expect them to not be humanoid or be able to communicate True. like we communicate or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be surprising if they were for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what are the chances? So let's pretend evolution is real. And I'm sorry, <laughs> what? Let's pretend evolution let's is real? Let's just say evolution is real and that's what happened on other planets. So it's interesting because like it no, could have evolution started. Evolution is real. I know. So, but it could have started the same way and then taken off so many different, you know what I mean? Like we uh-huh. didn't have to evolve the way we evolved. It'd be pretty funny. They could have evolved a different way. That's very true. Thank you. They became more monkey-like. They went the totally opposite it's, it's way. It's just a planet of Bigfoots. I think it would be cool if someone has listened to like 55 episodes of this show and they get here and they find out we don't believe in evolution. <laughs> <laughs> I don't not believe in it. I'm just saying if it's real. Look, I, I think that we haven't really had enough time to get into how you don't believe in evolution and how I am a flat earther. I believe in evolution, <laughs> but I, it also conflicts with my spiritual beliefs. One time I had this science teacher who was like, you know, because someone was like, we were talking about evolution and this girl in my class is religious and like talking about it. And she was like, and he was like, well, what if like when God was creating Earth and it was the seven days, like the 
the, the timeline time of right. a day was really a millennia. Right. And so that was evolution. Right. Yes. So that's how I think of evolution. So you do believe in evolution. With God's heavy hand. People don't know this about me. You're very conflicting kind of. I have a lot of like weird God beliefs. Well, I'm, I just so you guys know that you can continue listening to me because I am here as a hard skeptic, atheist, uh, non-God believer person. You know what's weird is that I do like religion. See, that makes no sense. Yeah, because it's fun. You go to a place, you sing some songs. Is that tradition or religion? Yeah. Interesting. Is that culture? It's culture. Yeah. Who doesn't like a little culture? <laughs> you can have a little culture. As a treat. As a treat. <laughs> Okay, what do we rate this episode? <laughs> I rate it 10 out of 10 all over the places. Very good. Tamika? 7 out of 7 spaceships. Oh. Thank you so much to our guest, Nora McInerney. Just Between Us was hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Nora, I'm so sorry that your beautiful interview was was followed by this discussion of aliens. Stitcher.